We speak today on the morning show about that remarkable food, rice, and about a remarkable book about rice called Seductions of Rice by award-winning authors Jeffrey Alford and Naomi Dugid. Uh, rice is very important to these two and to uh, uh, the culinary life which they enjoy together uh, with their two sons. And we're going to uh, explore what exactly rice is and the various ways it can be prepared and uh, talk a little bit about the, the marvelous recipes that are also found in this book. But uh, this is no ordinary cookbook. This is really a comprehensive celebration of rice in the world and uh, all the marvelous things that can be done with it. Uh, Naomi Dugid, Jeffrey Alford, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Nice to be here. Uh, I'd like one of you to give us a little sketch of, of who you are and what you have done uh, over the years before we start talking about rice. Um, well, I'll, I'll leap in then. Um, we, we're travelers, and we met um, in 85 in Tibet and decided that we um, could figure out um, a work life together um, with photography and writing, and our real interest is in how people live in the places they live. So food was our, our good entry point, and we were both cooks, and um, Jeff had worked in restaurants. So um, our first book came out in 1985, uh, 1995, I should say, and it was Flatbreads and Flavors, and it, it's a, a celebration of that other great staple, which are traditional flatbreads around the world, you know, chapatis and pizza and uh, all the, that lies in between, and food seat with... And rice was really kind of the next, you know, logical place to go because, well, because it's, a, it's such an important food to people. And we eat it all the time, and we love eating plain rice and all the wonderful side dishes that go with it. So, um, you know, a quick stir-fry, some Chinese greens, or an Indian dal, or it just seems to us to be the, the easiest and best way to eat dinner. So it's on our dinner table many nights a week. And it's on your lunch table every single day, basically, well, correct? Well, it, it's, it's... Or just about? It's, it's around. You know, when we, when we sort of bother with lunch, yeah, we'll ha take some leftover rice from the night before and um, stir-fry it to, to make fried rice. And it, it's, it's just... Um, it's really... It's food, and it, we're always pleased to eat it. We never say, oh, no, not rice again. That, that just wouldn't sort of occur to us because it always tastes good to us. One of the things I loved in the preface of the book was when you said that Rice is the great facilitator, unrivaled. Tell us how you think of rice as a facilitator. That's a beautiful choice of words. Well, we think of it in, 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 in cooking terms. And basically, uh, when you go in to uh, prepare dinner at night, and we're like, I think a lot of people, you know, uh, we only think of it at the last moment. And so we go into the kitchen and we put on a pot of, of, of rice to cook. And uh, then we think about what we're going to have for dinner. And it's going to be something that's going to be uh, with rice, and um, it's 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 sort of unri unrivaled, really. Uh, potatoes are the thing that come most to mind, but but rice uh, accommodates so many different uh, di so many different dishes, and it's actually so at the heart of so many different cuisines. So we, you know we can have we can have a Thai dish and a Chinese dish and a you know Indian dish, and, and it's all there uh, working around the rice. Um, so it, it, you know in North America. We eat quite uh, uh, not so much rice, but each year that's increasing as people get more exposed to to um, other types of cuisines, and I think we'll just see that more and more over time because it's such a smart, 
easy easy food to make. Um, you know, you've got uh, you know, almost half your half your meal made, and you haven't even had to think about it. <laughs> I uh, I am no world traveler nor an expert, but I have one story about rice as a facilitator, which is that when I was on choir tour in the Dominican Republic, our uh, host family served us a very very thick, heavy, spicy, wonderful chili, but that would have just about blown off my my head. I think, yeah. had it not been served in a bowl over rice, and that's how they almost always served this wonderful chili in this, at least in this household in the Dominican Republic. That's really the first time I'd ever had rice as that sort of a, a thing that kind of absorbed a really powerful flavor and, and, and made it more beautiful in a sense. Yeah, and kind of mellowed it out and helped yes. it link to other things. I mean, that's, that's really, that's a, that's a wonderful story, and it's a real example of, of what rice can do, you know, at, at the table. Um, and also, of course, if you eat eat rice and then have other things, then someone who doesn't like one thing can eat the other things. And you always know that rice is there as the backbone of the meal. You mentioned that rice is the staple food of more than half the world's population, which probably makes it then the most predominant food on the globe. It, it's, it, it is it in is. terms of on people's tables, yeah. How has it achieved that? What is it about rice? Because I don't think it's particularly easy to grow. I mean, in the way that, I mean, it, I, my impression is that potatoes, for instance, are extremely easy to grow. But but rice requires uh, care and uh, quite a lot of moisture and so on. Oh, it absolutely does. I think I think that sort of the demographics of the rice is just uh, simply because, uh, because in, in those two very big countries, China and India, you, um, you have a lot of rice eaters. So so those numbers, you know, uh, go way up. Uh, it is. It's extremely difficult to grow, uh, it, or it's uh, labor-intensive to grow. Hmm. Um, you find, uh, you know, I think the United States is now the world's largest or the second largest exporter of rice, uh, which is a little bit deceptive. You know, it's grown so much uh, in in California, but even Texas. those than Texas, but those numbers, even though it's the largest exporter, it's still just a fraction of what um, is being grown in you, Asia. You tell it's us... Just, mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 so many people eat it because where they live, um, it is, it, you can get a lot of rice per acre. It's quite a generous crop if you've got uh, enough water, and in a lot of places where rice is the staple, there's plenty, there's either a monsoon rain that people can use to irrigate the land, or they have a steady supply of water, for example, in Bali. There's water coming off the volcano all the time. And then people have developed, you know, have rice channels and irrigation. And then for an, in, on an acre of land, they can raise quite a lot of food. Hmm. Um, so in that way, it, um, it, it has its generous side, too, as long as you're organized and put the labor in. You say that rice is a grain, uh, and what we're eating is the fruit of that, of that grass plant. What does rice, generally speaking, look like out in the field? What does the plant look like and the stuff that we uh, end looks, up eating? What does that look like? It looks quite like, quite like wheat. Um, you know, it's green, uh, lush green in, as, as it's growing, and then as it's coming towards harvest, it's, it, it goes, uh, you know, golden yellow. And then uh, just uh, the, pot, the seeds are there at the top. Like, like if you have a piece of grass in your, in your yard that you, you don't cut, and pretty soon it, it gets that feathery bit at the top. The head gets kind of heavy and, and tips over a little, and it's a beautiful golden color. And the seeds are inside sort of those, a, a dry sort of husky thing. Um, and when you take that, when you, when you take them out of the husk, and they often fall out of the husk, 
then inside is what would be brown rice. You could just you could cook that from inside the husk. You could you know pound the husk on some hard surface so that the grains pop out of the husk, and then inside would be a, a brown rice. And then to get from there to to white rice, it needs to be milled um, in a mill, or you can do it in a mortar and pestle to get the the bran off. But that, it's really you're really eating something directly from the plant, which is, I suppose part of its mystique or part of what makes it a, a wonderful sort of food, knowing that it has not go- undergone a huge amount of human technological processing. That's right, and it also keeps well because you, you know, a, a milled white rice, you can store, and if it's dry and, you know, airtight in a bag, um, it, it'll keep well. We, we classify uh, rices as long grain or uh, medium grain or short grain. What exactly do those terms mean? Oh, uh-huh. oh dear, have I asked something complicated there? <laughs> people have people will talk loosely. You know, we'll say, "Oh, that short grain rice," or "Oh, that long grain rice," and then those terms are also used really kind of technically. You know, mm. um, so you know, long grain is it's the proportion of the length to the width, basically, is what makes something long grain or medium grain or short grain. Is that it? Um, is that an important, significant distinction for the sake of? choosing rice and cooking rice and so on, or not particularly? Uh, not, no. not particularly, no. It's more kind of the, how the rice behaves, what kind of starches it has in it. And, you know, m- most people cook the rice they, they grew up with. You know, we cook only sort of two or three rices uh, in a steady way. So they just have their rice habit, and they know how to cook it. They're not saying, oh, gosh, what's this rice? Oh, this is what I have to do. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yes. So, um, but every rice has, some rice is cooked to a drier texture, like a basmati, and um, some rice is cooked to a sort of softer, more clinging texture, like a, a, ja- a Thai jasmine rice or a Japanese rice. And then some rices are really sticky and clingy, like a, a, a Thai sticky rice. I don't know if you've ever had it with, um, it's not often used in sweets, and it's, it, it clumps up and you actually eat it in your hands like a, like a cracker. It's fabulous rice. Hmm. And different rices can have very different smells. And it becomes very important to people who are eating over that rice every day to expect that smell. And then if you switch to a different rice, like a parboiled rice, has a, has a, has a distinctive smell that you know, I, can't, I, can't, I, don't, I don't like. And I think uh, for most people, uh, in our house, we eat primarily uh, a jasmine rice. And we really want that smell. Every time we cook rice, that's the smell that goes into the kitchen, just like when bread is baking. Mm. And you get very attached to that smell. And then a, a, a different rice will have a different smell, and it, it, won't, it won't be appetizing. It won't hmm. be a, or either appetizing at all or it won't be as appetizing. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, once upon a time you would walk down the aisle of a typical American supermarket and... Uh, you'd have essentially one kind of rice available to you and uh, not particularly good rice. Uh, you're saying that that has begun to change, that, uh, that now you go into a supermarket and there will be some choices available to you, and some of that rice will probably be pretty good rice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to find, um, you'll find some um, Italian rices, either grown in Italy or Italian style grown in California. You'll find... Um, Jasmine rices from Thailand, and maybe also uh, jasmine-style rices grown in Texas. You'll find, um, and you'll also have, so there's a bunch of imported rices, and there's also a diversity of kinds of rice being grown in the States. And, of course, Japanese-style rices grown in California. 
But curiously, in a, in a supermarket these days, you, you'll find rice in several different places um, because some of it's classified under, you know, health food or or or, or specialty food, or but it, you know, even though it's just all just rice. Hmm. You say that poor quality rice is featureless and tasteless. I'm especially curious about the the. I mean, we all know what tasteless food is, but. I'm 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 curious what exactly you mean when you say that 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 not so good rice is featureless. Do you mean that it's very plain looking? And no, I guess more. Um, it it has no no character or personality. Um, mm. You know, if you can, I guess the best analogy is bread. Um, you know, when you eat a bread that you like, and um, it isn't necessarily you know brown or rye or anything sort of strong. It's mild, but it still has character to you, yes. uh, you know, it's identifiable, you can think, oh yes, that bread. And then you can eat a bread that's very factory produced, and perhaps not, you know, has no particular anything, and it's not really about tastelessness, it's about lack of personality, it's almost like even if it did once have it, it, it had the personality beaten out of it, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's really, um, that's some of what we're talking about. But, you know, taste in rice like taste in bread is really personal, and, uh, so it's really, you know, what I might love, you might really dislike. You might think, oh, I don't like that clinging rice. I like a drier basmati. Or, you know, we all have our, our preferences, and they're all kind of, they're all part of the world of rice eating. Right. Um, you as uh, people in love with rice who eat it all the time, are there kinds of rice that you really do not like at all and really do not want to eat? I, I guess I'm asking, are, th- are there certain kinds of rices that are, for whatever reason, maybe all but inedible? Or are they all wonderful food and, and just your preferences are just, you know, according to personal taste? I think the second thing. There, you know, what's, uh, for example, brown rice. You know, if you go to Japan, and, and most people wouldn't think of eating brown rice. Um, but brown rice, if you grew up with it or if you came to it because you did macrobiotics or for whatever reason, um, has a wonderful, you know, nutty flavor. It's, it's, it takes a little more chewing. And, you know, those are, those are kinds of things that, you know, brown rice might fill one person with horror and another person might <laughs> think that it was, you know. So it, it, it's really that. Jeff, don't you, do you feel the same way? Sir? Oh, I think, it, as I mentioned before, some, some parboiled rices uh, I, I would have a hard time eating. Because they, they, there's just a taste that I, I don't like. <laughs> but but other, for other people, they're really the taste of home, and they're wonderful. Hmm. Interesting. Know? Yeah. I wondered if it was something like, for instance, berries. I mean, uh, there are a lot of berries that everybody loves, and there are some berries that uh, you know are more of an acquired taste, and there are some berries that are downright poisonous or that really should not be eaten by human beings for whatever reason. It we sounds like... We don't any rices uh, in, the, in that inedible category. Okay. No, no. no. So it really is, uh, you know, what you grew up with and... Um, and and, and I, it's probably true that for every rice there is someone who loves that rice. We're speaking with Jeffrey Alford and Naomi Dugid. They are the authors of Seductions of Rice, a big, beautiful, wonderful coffee table book that celebrates rice with a, a whole host of, of marvelous recipes, but also, uh, in some ways, even more helpful to those of us that don't know very much about rice, all kinds of wonderful, helpful information about what rice is and all the different ways there are 
um, to prepare it. I should I should add, I, I almost kind of placed a bet with myself that we would see the words rice aroni on the pages of this book. And sure enough, there they are mentioned very briefly in the preface. But I imagine rice aroni is not on your household menu very often. I know. In fact, <laughs> I, I can't remember when I last saw it even, mm. you know, in a, in a store. That's really an interesting mm. thing. It, it's, it's still there, but... Uh, it is, eh? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> we, we tend to really, we love, um, we love all those simple dishes that go with rice, and that's, that's part of why we wrote the book, because we, we like, you know, those easy stir-fries and so on in the China chapter, or some of the sauces and... Um, chutneys and yummy relishes. But you, want to, but you want to do the putting together. You don't want someone else to do that and put it exactly. in a box for you. Exactly. You, you tell us that there are several different ways uh, to cook rice, but before it, there is the important step of washing. I liked how you discussed this because there are, are different reasons to wash rice, uh, depending on where you are or where you've uh, acquired your rice. Explain that a little bit. Um, well, uh, do you do you cook rice at home? Me? Yeah, you. Uh, my wife does, and I'll stir uh-huh. it once in a while. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting because in 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 the states, um, many people the, the bags say don't wash this rice. It, bags of rice grown in the states, and that's because m- most rice grown in the states is enriched, um, and that came from apparently in the '30s when you know during the depression they felt that oh, any way they could get um, more nutrition out to people at the basic level, so that all the rice was enriched. But in fact, we wash our rice, um, as most people in Asia do, for example, because then um, the, ri- we, the rice cooks more evenly and to a, to a, a texture we prefer. So, mm. And you'll find this tradition in Japan, for example, if you go to a sushi restaurant and you were uh, working for a sushi master and you were in charge of washing the rice, that sushi master would have you wash the rice perhaps 15 times. Now, it's not like we do that at home, but to, to tell you the importance of getting it so all the loose starch is washed off it, and, and it uh, gets a little moistened, and then it cooks really evenly. Mm. That's right. I think you go on to say that your diet is one where those little added nutrients in the rice you buy in America, for instance, are rather inconsequential. It, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's really, for anybody who's sort of reading the book, most people, this is not going to be, um, it's not going to be a relevant thing. The uh, most common method of cooking rice is the absorption method, and I, I had never really stopped to think about that, that that is actually what's happening when you cook rice in this most conventional way, that you are putting it in a pot of water, and then each of those kernels of rice is absorbing some of the water around it. Yeah, so often referred to as steaming, but it's actually not steaming. Steamed rice, or we call it steamed rice, but it's... I think we, we wanted to make that distinction uh, very clear in the book because um, then there is that, which Nami mentioned before, uh, sticky rice, which actually literally is steamed. It's soaked overnight in water, and it absorbs that water, and then you drain what's left of the water, and then you, you, we actually use a basket, and we put the rice in a basket, and then we put it over the hot water, and it's literally steamed. And it doesn't touch water at all. You don't have to measure quantities or anything. It just steam cooks. Huh. Um, yeah, whereas the rice, the absorption yeah. cooking, yeah, is, is actually in the water and taking the water in and, and cooking uh, in the hot water. Now, is there a reason to avoid the absorption method of cooking rice? I no, mean, it's it, the, we think it's the best one. Oh, you, so, but, but in, in your particular 
your your preferred method, I guess, is what I meant. That's that's, that's our, how yeah. we that's our preferred method. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you uh, not, nothing gets washed away, right? And um, you know you have the rice is, is and the water you're eating it all, and um, and the rices that we tend to eat as our daily rice are best cooked that way with absorption method. Different rices, you know, lend themselves better to different ways of cooking. Mm-hmm. The other major method being. Uh, cooking rice as people cook pasta, you have a lot of water and you simply cook the rice in that hot water until it's done and then you drain drain the remainder of the water. Mm. That's sort of the simplest way, I suppose, in a sense. But uh, but it's hard to get an even cooking. Some, some rice, I mean, you can cook basmati that way and it's fine. Um, but for if you tried to cook Thai jasmine that way, it would just sort of disintegrate into kind of mush. It's not, the grain's not strong enough to handle being you know, bashed around in boiling water like that. Hmm. You mentioned at one point that for a, a brief time you used a rice cooker. I've never actually seen a rice cooker before. What what kind of a machine is that, and is it worth investigating? Oh, well, they're, they're sort great. of magic things. Um, they, they vary uh, a great deal in, in their sophist- how sophisticated they are, but we, we actually use one um, up, at, up, at, uh, up at in the country, and you just, it's electric, and it looks sort of like one of those old slow cookers or uh, crock pots, it sort of looks like. Mm. And uh, you simply put the rice in, put the water into the, to the measured level, and click the button, and it's magic. It just cooks it, <laughs> and, when it and when it's done, it shuts itself off. Wow. Um, but it has the advantage that it keeps the rice warm quite a long time. And so for people who are eating rice, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's a very handy thing. And, and the other thing is, if you're a forgetful person or inclined to be distracted, you can you wash your rice, you put it in the rice cooker. It's got an inner sort of pot, and then you put the rice in there with the water. Um, then you put the, the lid on the whole thing, and it's just a round thing. It sits on the table, doesn't take up a burner on the stove. You know, you plug it in, turn it on, and then you can forget about it. You don't have to remember that when it comes to the boil, you need to turn it down or, you know, any of those things. So um, it's... Uh, it's really, uh, yeah, a rice cooker is wonderful. Now, there's really sophisticated ones that you can program, you know, to turn on at 6.30 at night or whatever. But mm. we're, we're not in that category. We have a really plain one, and it's, it's done us really fine. You, you, you mentioned that you used one uh, quite regularly for a while, maybe a year, but then, um, then returned to cooking it uh, in your friendly heavy pot. Yeah. Any particular reason why you made that switch back? Yeah, I think it's sort of familiarity, and we were used to the texture of the rice in the pot and liked it, but now we have this uh, kind of a very rough cabin in the country, and it does have electricity, but it doesn't have, we have pretty primitive cooking devices otherwise. Hmm. And so actually, the rice cooker has come back into its own and is up there, and we use it all the time up in the country. Um, so it's it's really, and, and it tastes fine to us. We're, we're not complaining or, or thinking we should be using a pot or anything. Hmm. We're speaking with Naomi Dugid and Jeffrey Alford about their book called Seductions of Rice. Uh, I should mention that there's a, a very helpful glossary uh, in, in the book, which is, is, is quite helpful. And uh, it, it brings to mind one term which I wanted to be sure to ask you about, which is wild rice. Uh, that's grown not too far from here uh, in uh, northern Minnesota and uh, northern Wisconsin. And uh, I know a lot of people around this part of the country that really love to eat that kind of wild rice. But uh, 
we probably shouldn't confuse that maybe with other ways that we can talk about wild rice since there's that that's where all of this came from originally yeah there's sort of there's wild rice and there's wild rice uh the wild rice in north america isn't you know technically i guess according to the botanist it's not technically a rice in the sense that um um, the, the rices we're talking about it for Chinese cuisine or, or Thai cuisine are, are rices. It's also a, a grass. But the interesting thing is, and, and those rices from Japan and China, their ancestors were, grew wild, and there were rices growing wild in Africa. Um, and they're, they're different from the North American ones. But the North American wild rice, if you think about it, its place in um, native culture and a native you know, culinary tradition was very like the place of, you know, rice, rice, if I can put it that way, um, in, in Asia. In other words, it was a staple grain. It was harvested. It took work. Um, it was dried out and threshed and, and treated with respect. And um, so it really, in that sense, um, at, at the cultural level, I guess you could say, it's, it's as much a rice as, as any rice from anywhere else. Hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the growing of rice. You, you've already mentioned the fact that it's quite labor-intensive. It is no easy matter to uh, to grow rice, uh, but, it, but it can happen in all kinds of different climates. Uh, within all those different climates, is it still grown essentially the same way? Uh, n- not, no, not necessarily. Most, uh, maybe you could help on it, but there's a distinction between... Um, between uh, elevations at which it's grown and 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 how much water it's going to use. Um, no. Well, some some rices, uh, the rices that grow in um, in the tropics where there's lots of rain, they still mostly uh, they can either depend on monsoon rain and you know a flooding and hot weather, or you can grow rices in temperate climates like California or Japan or Spain or Italy, and that's again going to be seasonal. Um, the rice is going to take longer to ripen. But there's also people, uh, and this is, of course, how rice um, seems to have started, who still grow rice in sort of slash-and-burn agriculture, people living in the mountains in Southeast Asia, um, and in Borneo, for example. And there, the rice seeds just get scattered on the ground. They wait for the monsoon rains to come to moisten them. And then the rice grows uh, just with help from Mother Nature, with no irrigation. Um, and grows, I guess, kind of like the best analogy would be the way corn was grown by um, Native people here, uh, with knowledge and attention, but not in any way that looks like, you know, careful field, um, and perhaps more harmoniously with nature. Um, uh, anyway, so it grows in different ways. Some ways you can describe it are dry land cultivation, sort of on hillsides waiting for the rain to fall, as opposed to those kind of irrigated wet rice paddies that are the kind of classic, almost cliche shot of, of rice growing in the tropics. Hmm. Uh, one really interesting page in the book, now this is where it's frustrating that we're on the radio instead of television, <laughs> but um, th- there's one page where you have a whole array of, let's see, 9, 18, 27, 36 uh, different kinds of rice uh, laid out for us to see and compare side by side. And it's kind of interesting to me how, in some ways, they all look rather similar, and maybe we would even think that these are all rices, and yet they are amazing in their diversity of shape and color and, and uh, from what I can tell, texture as well. Isn't that interesting, that picture? Isn't it beautiful, too, the reds and the, and the, and the 
blacks and the different shades of gold. Let's talk a little bit about the nutritional value of rice. Um, there are a couple of interesting points about rice that, uh, that make it in some ways nutritious, in some ways something that we should uh, maybe be a little bit careful about. Tell us a little bit about that. I don't think we know the ones that we should be careful about, particularly. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends We're on what you think about starch, because uh, it is high in starch, correct? Well, it's oh, carbohydrate. It's carbohydrate. Carbohydrate, yeah. Part of that carbohydrate is, is starch. And um, I, we're, we're, we're not nutritionists, so, uh, but, but we have been, you know, spent sort of basically our adult life uh, uh, traveling. And um, we just uh, think there's a simple fact. If you, if you look at, uh, for one thing, obesity, and you look at areas of the world where people y- eat primarily rice, uh, the, the very low levels of obesity. And then you go around where, where, you know, those other areas of the world where people aren't eating rice, and there's a great deal more obesity. Um, and, and in Japan hmm. now, as people are switching from rice eating to a more westernized diet, they're starting for the first time to have problems with obesity. So it's not a matter of people being thin because they're poor. It really is a matter of somehow the way the diet works. You know, um, it, so we think if you eat, you know, rice-based, but, you know, and you can have your bits of meat and lots of fresh vegetables, and um, that, that's, that seems to us, and certainly from what the nutritionists tell us, to be a really easy and balanced way to eat. Hmm. And, uh, and really diverse. You know, you're eating different things all the time. Well, exactly. I was going to say, uh, this goes back to rice as the great facilitator, the fact that uh, it almost encourages one to be making use of all these other things that we all need to be eating more of, vegetables primarily. Absolutely. And it, it encourages you, you know, to, to eat seasonal fruits and vegetables, too, because you know, if, you, if you're going to supplement your rice that night, you're going to go shopping and see, you know, see what's in season. One thing that you mentioned that I thought was real interesting, uh, again, uh, you, you've said you're not nutritionist, but you've raised some interesting issues here, one of them being the, the difference between white rice and brown rice and the fact that one might be a little higher in nutrition, but that one is easier to digest than another. Yeah, we found that fascinating when we were doing our, our research and reading. Just, just a, you know, very, very interesting, all of that. I think if the main thing we've come concluded about nutrition is that Nobody really still knows. We don't really understand everything within everything. You know, we can break down elements, but really what the effect of eating that real food is on us, we, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a mystery. Hmm. You take us uh, through the, the balance of the book through all kinds of cuisines across the world. And one of the things that I, I so appreciate the f- is that, I mean, it just goes to show what, what a typical American thinks that that there's a big chapter about Chinese rice and then there's another big section about Japanese rice and to me it would never occur to me that there's any significant difference between them or between the way they are prepared and of course that's just you know American ignorance uh, at, at play again all of these cuisines have their own unique ways of treating rice and using it oh very much so and that's, that, that was pretty much for us the heart of the book was uh, trying to, to, to sort of make the encap, encapsulate that uh, these primarily the four the four India China Japan and, and Southeast Asia, and give people here in North America a, a way of you know basically uh, cooking dinner and uh, and and switching to to uh, you know becoming sort of rice eaters. 
uh, and we thought there's sort of like four little joys of cooking. Um, you know, there's probably 25 recipes in each of those chapters uh, that are real basics. And uh, for, my, for us, it's, it's, what, it's where, the way we eat at home. And we, we look at the whole book as sort of uh, trying to represent a way of eating. Uh, rice being at the center of that, but by no means eating, you know, eating tons of rice. It's just a, a way of thinking about uh, about meals. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, is interesting to me is uh, the the wonderful photography. You are photographers, correct? Yeah. And uh, you, you, you like it. Yeah, you've really captured some wonderful scenes and, and even just the faces of some of these people, many of them simple people people, farmers, and so on, but uh, very, uh, very alluring in, in just being uh, up close and personal with, with uh, many of these people. And we just get the sense that this is a great adventure for you, traveling the planet and uh, finding rice uh, everywhere you go. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a huge adventure for us. Uh, and and we, I think one of the reasons we started out doing it was because when we started to have a family, it's what we wanted to do as a family. We wanted, you know, when we go to a country, we're primarily interested in being in villages and not in cities. And it, it for one reason, is because it's, we enjoy it more. And uh, when the kids, our kids are now uh, 12 and 15, and they've pretty much been going since they were born. And they're very comfortable in, you know, in villages in many parts of the world. <laughs> mm. um, and it, it, when we come home... I mean, it's just, it's just been good for all of us. Uh, for an American, typical American, picking up this book, uh, where would you suggest they start in terms of the recipes? I guess I'm asking, is there a particular cuisine that you think is a good starting point, or does it really depend on a, on a given person's own preferences? Um, I, I don't know Jeff, what you'd say. It's a real, that's a really good question. I think... Um, because most people are familiar with the notion uh, maybe of a stir-fry or they've maybe eaten Thai out in, in restaurants recently, I'd go to the China chapter and the Thai chapter and just pick out things that catch your eye. That, the recipes are in the whole book are very simple. They're very home-style, easy-to-prepare recipes. But I think in those two chapters, <laughs> you'd find the most familiar. And if people are sushi lovers, there's in the Japan chapter, of course, there's all of that. But for people who, who, for whom Japanese food is, still feels a bit foreign, um, probably Chinese and Thai are the are the easiest places to start. And you know, you can make an easy chicken soup, or you can make a, a grilled beef salad, a Thai grilled beef salad, or a quick stir fry of, of Chinese greens with a little pork. And you know, it's uh, it's sort of like falling off a log, if you know what I mean. It's, it's really. <laughs> It's very one, two, three food, and once you've made a recipe once, you can think, oh, right, that was really simple, <laughs> you mm. know, um, and then you can come at it again and start adding your own touches to it. That's something else that rice seems to uh, encourage, is uh, a wonderful diversity of, of experimentation and trying things out. I think you mentioned uh, in the chapter where you devote, uh, devote attention to Thai uh, cooking, Thai cuisine, is that they especially celebrate sort of the unpredictable and uh, and really yeah. cherish yeah. that above following the rules and so on. Well, we, we just are constantly amazed uh, in Thailand that, you know, people are just, uh, it's not that they like odd food or anything. They just eat an enormous range of food that, you know, there's just a, a, sort of a happiness around food. And, you know, oh, yeah, I'll try it. If it's there, I'll try it. 
And uh, it's not something that I'm really particularly. Uh, I, I, I grew up as a very sort of picky eater, and thing, and and to to arrive in Thailand, just the in, incredible diversity of of food, and 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 the sort of the, the, that fun. Aspect yes, you you say it embraces improvisation and scorns rigidity. Right. <laughs> Beautifully put. Wonderful writing and wonderful pictures and, and wonderful information and ideas to be found in this book called Seductions of Rice by Jeffrey Alford and Naomi Duguid, published by Artisan of New York. Jeffrey Alford, Naomi Duguid, a real pleasure to, uh, to read this book and uh, to talk with you about it uh, and your love affair with rice on the morning show today. We thank you so much. It's been great. Very nice. Thank you, Greg. Thank you.